The Kremlin seems to have given itself a headache in the form of Yevgeny Prigozhin. The head of the Wagner mercenary force has spent months publicly arguing with Russia's top military brass, embarrassing the Kremlin. Things escalated on Sunday when the man dubbed Putin's butcher said his company would refuse to sign any contracts with Russia's defense ministry, contracts widely seen as an attempt to bring the group into line. Welcome to the What Matters Today podcast from the Geneva Graduate Institute. I'm Dan Graham, head of communications at the Institute. In this podcast series, we ask members of our faculty to comment on key global issues. More and more private military companies are replacing soldiers on battlefields these days. We've seen this before with Blackwater in Iraq and are seeing this again with the Wagner Group being used in the Russia-Ukraine war. In addition to Ukraine, the group has significantly increased its activities in recent years in Syria, Libya, Sudan, Central African Republic, Mozambique, and Mali, among other countries. In some of these countries, the Wagner Group has been accused of human rights violations. In fact, Last month, the French parliament designated the Wagner Group as a terrorist entity and called on the EU to do the same. Today's episode focuses on questions such as the current status of the group, its ties with Russia, and who is controlling the group's actions. My guest today is Dr. Anissa Balal, senior researcher at the Center on Conflict, Development, and Peacebuilding here at the Geneva Graduate Institute, and is also the executive director of the Geneva Peacebuilding Platform and is a visiting professor here at the Institute. Vanessa, thank you very much for joining us today for this podcast episode. My first question is, what is the status of the Wagner Group in contemporary armed conflicts? Well, thank you very much, Daniel, for inviting me. It's a fascinating topic and quite complicated one. Um, I would say that it depends a bit on which conflict we are talking about and which situations we are talking about. And I think when we talk about status, of course, we are rather thinking of a legal status or some kind of legal definition. And, and here it, it does indeed depend on the context. I think that first of all, we need to distinguish between Wagner as a group or Wagner as a collection of individuals, uh, fighters um, that are working for this group. And so if we take, first of all, the, um, the idea of Wagner as, as a group, well, the, the first thing that we have to acknowledge is that under public international law, there is no specific status for groups other than states or international uh, organizations, intergovernmental organizations. So we have to turn to political science um, to really understand, let's say, the status or to turn to some kind of definition of these groups under, under, in contemporary armed conflicts. And political scientists usually defined these kind of groups, so private military companies, for example, as what we call uh, armed non-state actors. So in terms of legal status, it's quite empty. It's non-state versus state. So here, Wagner is a non-state actor that participate in hostilities, in conflicts, in, in some situations. And um, as such, uh, it can be bound by the law of armed conflict. And this is quite important to note, is that it's not deprived of any responsibility. And we are going to uh, to talk about this, perhaps. 
And then the second, uh, the, the second, uh, let's say, status that we have to talk about, because media have often uh, referred to Wagner as mercenary group or mercenaries. And here we are talking rather about individuals. And here it changes a bit also uh, depending on the context. Um, under international law, the definition of who is a mercenary is very uh, limited and it's very for all kinds of reasons. It's not a broad category. So you have fighters that can belong to non-state armed groups. You have members that belong to the official army of a state. And then you might have also in certain circumstances mercenaries. One of the requisites to be qualified as a mercenary under international law is that the person cannot have the nationality of the state that participate in the hostility. So, for example, in Ukraine, since the majority of the members of the Wagner group are Russians, so it would not apply. But the Wagner group is involved in other conflicts in the Central African Republic, in Mali. And although they do not acknowledge necessarily that they are participating in hostilities. They are sometimes officially training, you know, uh, or guarding some facilities. They are not always, at least not officially saying yes, that they are participating along with the army of the state um, in that context. But be that as it may, in these circumstances, they could be qualified as mercenaries under international law. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about a few things uh, that you answered. What are the Wagner Group's historical and current links with Russia? Because right now, when you think of the Wagner Group, you think of Russia. And is the group trying to distance itself from Russia? Because a lot of the recent headlines seem to indicate so. Yes. Well, here again, the, uh, the relationship of the links with Russia is quite complex because so far, Russia has refused to officially acknowledge Wagner from being part of Russian strategy, at least from officially speaking. As you know, uh, private military companies are illegal in, under Russia's domestic law, and they are still today. So this hasn't changed. That said, of course, I mean, the, the scope of activities that Wagner has today in the world would not be possible without some kind of Russian support, either at the diplomatic level or in other, in other spheres of, of, let's say, support. For example, it is well known that Wagner's has been recruiting uh, fighters in Russians' prisons. So that proves that there is a strong link with Russia. The, the historical origin of Wagner perhaps was not so close to Russia at first because um, the existence of Wagner was linked to the, uh, the, let's say, the outbreak of the war in, in Ukraine, but in 2014, when there was uh, the war in, in the two republics of Luhansk and Donetsk in the eastern part of Ukraine. And then there were many armed non-state actors. And among these many armed non-state actors, there were this group, paramilitary group that was called uh, Wagner at the time, uh, which is still today. But um, it, perhaps here the link was not so clear. I think that 
Wagner is, a, is an instrument of Russia in the sense that Russia wants to play its part at the political level to gain influence and support uh, in many parts of, of Africa, to, to have political support in African countries. And this is where, in fact, Russia is playing with Wagner in the sense that they let Wagner doing the dirty job, being paid some way or another. And at the same time, Russia is gaining the support from African countries. Countries and as we have seen at the UN General Assembly when they yeah, voted exactly. the, the resolutions and so on. And the last thing that perhaps is important to say about this is that, yes, if, um, if Russia has not acknowledged officially any links with Wagner, one thing seems quite clear is that they are not conducting any kind of investigations against Wagner, which is accused of having committed war crimes or crimes against humanity. Not only did Russia not conduct proper investigations against the group, but in some cases they have also prevented pro proper investigations. And this was clearly shown by, by media reports and investigations done in Russia itself by Russian journalists who could talk at the time, but now they cannot anymore. But that was clearly shown that at least Russia is preventing any kind of investigation against a group from being undertaken. So that also shows how um, the, the relationship is close. And yes, as you said, now Wagner seems to be distancing itself from, from Russia. And this, to my mind, perhaps shows two things. Uh, first of all, that Yevgeny Prigozhin might want to position himself a, a bit more, let's say, independently in the Russian arena for political reasons. Um, perhaps, I don't know. If in a longer term, Putin is becoming criticized internally, perhaps he will already send some signals that he's not that close to, to Putin in a way. And um, a second interesting aspect of this distancing is that it shows that indeed Wagner is a non-state actor because one of the elements of being a non-state actor and a private military company being a non-state actor is that it can turn itself uh, against the interest of the state that has uh, contracted uh, the service of, of that company. And this is interesting in that, in that sense. So who is controlling their actions? Who's behind? Who's giving them the orders? This is also um, an interesting question. And perhaps we can wonder who is legally responsible for uh, Wagner's uh, action in, in the different contexts that they are operating in. It is a bit of a difficult question because um, of the opaque, let's say, structure of Wagner's, uh, Wagner as, as a company, as a private actor. It has also created many other, let's say, shell companies or empty shell companies to contract either the fighters or to gain access to certain resources, notably in the Central African Republic or in Syria. So I would say that if we talk about international law or international humanitarian law, so for the commission of war crimes or even crimes against humanity, the first important step is individual criminal responsibility. And here, when it's possible to actually arrest or identify who has committed the crime, 
then we have the possibility to um, to start investigations. Although it's not uh, it's not easy, but investigations are underway uh, against the murder of a Syrian national uh, in a in a very horrific way. I think it was in 2019. And now there is a case at the European Court of Human Rights, although this is not at the criminal level. But at the criminal level, if an individual is accused of having committed a war crime or crimes against humanity, investigations can start either at the International Criminal Court or at the domestic level in Russia, quite unlikely. But there is also the possibility at the universal jurisdiction level, meaning that one state decides to arrest and try the individual of one national of a, of a state like uh, Russia uh, for crimes committed elsewhere other than in the, in the, for example, in France or in Switzerland. Now the most, let's say, the, the third possibility, which is difficult, is the level of state responsibility. And here it's quite difficult because in order to engage the responsibility of Russia for, let's say, the illegal acts that have been committed, you need to prove a very, very strong level of control of Russia over the actions of Wagner. So you need to prove at least effective control, what we call effective control, and the threshold is very high. So you would actually need to prove that the, the, the command or the orders were directly coming from the military of Russia. And this we know is not the case. So it would be difficult to prove that Wagner's action, Wagner is not an organ of Russia, so the act of Wagner needs to be attributed to Russia. And so that would be difficult. We could also imagine that Russia would acknowledge the, the behavior or the acts of Wagner, making them its own, but it hasn't done that. Russia is always distancing itself from Wagner, although it has also awarded some uh, medals of merits to some of the fighters. But still, officially speaking, that strong relationship would be difficult to prove. In some contexts in Ukraine today, um, we could prove perhaps that Wagner's military actions were in support of the army, the Russian army, and that perhaps the level of proof would be easier to show. In some other contexts, we know that Wagner's also operate independently. So Russia lets them do and, you know, they, they use them in that sense. And then uh, let's say the final layer perhaps of, of investigation would be, but that's again not very probable, is to, in some domestic systems like in France, there is a possibility to hold accountable the, the CEO of a company or the owner of a company by lifting what we call the corporate veil and saying that, okay, perhaps the CEO has not murdered this person, but he's responsible of the action of, its, of his company. It, it seems a bit unlikely uh, with Prigogine to, to, to to be able to do that. But, well, who knows? Perhaps he, he can be also, um, we could link him more clearly with some of the actions that were committed on the ground. But then again, it's all a question of facts and how we can prove this. Yeah. And as you said, not that easy, right? So. No, it's not. <laughs> no, not, not that easy indeed. And for my final question, I just want to touch on a few things you've already mentioned. You mentioned the crimes, you mentioned human rights violations, which is why I assume so many countries want to put them on this terrorist list. In fact, France last month has designated officially, their parliament officially designated them as a terrorist entity, and they've called on the EU to do the same. So is this desire to list them as terrorist groups or a terrorist group, is it legally relevant? To a certain extent, 
Yes, it is legally relevant, although it's more politically relevant than legally relevant, I would argue. A person can already be tried for committing a crime, as we just discussed. Wagner is already under EU sanctions list in the sense that not for terrorist organization, but for having participating to, to, the, um, to the invasion or aggression of, of Ukraine by Russia. Classifying the group as a terrorist group is, of course, a political signal. But it is also uh, the um, a possibility, for example, to put some individuals under criminal sanctions. So, for example, so there is the issue of financing. Uh, there is the issue of uh, having an individual could be held criminally liable for supporting, for example, uh, Wagner's group action or in any other way. In the same way as Al-Qaeda or the ISIS group were under a terrorist organization list. When you qualify an organization as a terrorist organization, can be quite confusing because, for example, I mean, armed states are doing this usually for any armed groups that are fighting against them. So you, you can have certain armed non-state actors that are acting as terrorist, let's say, in a terrorizing way, but labeling them as terrorist organizations can have also a negative effect for, for a whole area of things. So in a sense, this does not necessarily apply to, to Wagner as, you know, identifying them as terrorist organization. But I would say that it's, it's a bit more confusing than really useful in a way. So it's a political signal, yes. But at the same time, the law is already there and the fact that they are committing very serious international law violation is already enough in a way. Uh, I would argue that perhaps uh, not everyone would agree, but, uh, but I would say that. Great. And that, that was it. So thank you very much, Anissa, for joining us for this podcast episode. Thank you very much, Daniel, for the invitation. That was Dr. Anissa Bilal discussing the Wagner Group. This podcast series is produced by the Geneva Graduate Institute Communications team. For more information about the Institute, please visit our website at graduateinstitute.ch. I'm Dan Graham. Thanks for listening. <laughs>